Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents... A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Slow the testing down. Remove him from office. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The Betches Sup Podcast. Will you shut Who is up, man? Listen. Hello and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And today we're so excited to be here with former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in the Obama administration, former mayor of San Antonio, former presidential candidate, and now fellow podcast host, Julian Castro. Great to be with y'all. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, here in San Antonio with my family, uh, getting to take it a little bit easy these days. Yeah, I know you're a parent to school-aged children, so I wanted to ask you, first of all, how are you doing? Have your kids returned to remote learning? Yeah, you know, uh, my wife, Erica, um, is, a, is the lead coach uh, for elementary school uh, coaches in one of the, uh, I guess, curriculum coaches in one of the school districts here in San Antonio. So she's been going to the office every day since August, mid-August, and I'm in charge of uh, my kids' remote learning. Uh, which is not a task at all for my 11-year-old, <laughs> who's in sixth grade, but for my five-year-old son, Christian, uh, it's been an adventure. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, so far so good. Um, you know, I think that the students are getting as much out of it as they possibly can. You know, I really admire the teachers who are scrambling like crazy because in the school district that my kids go to, at least in my son's class, you know, the teachers are dealing with some students who are actually there in person, and then others, most of the students that are doing remote learning, and they're going back and forth. Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, it's not ideal for anybody. And um, I, I feel like uh, as soon as we can safely get all of our kids back to school, uh, I think all parents just about are ready for them to get back to school because we want to make sure that they learn as much as possible. Um, but it's given me a even greater respect for all of those teachers out there and staff who have had to improvise and, you know, you do what they can to make sure our kids learn well. Yeah. I was reading today that you actually skipped a grade in high school, right? I did. I was thinking if I was your kid, I would say, dad, you took, you skipped a whole year. Do I really have to do a zoom class? Do I really? (laughs) You know, my, my five-year-old might get away with that since it's <laughs> kindergarten. Yeah, yeah, well, who cares? You know, they're not even yeah. taking grades and not really even doing <laughs> No, I mean, he, he, somebody made a, a, a comment to me a couple of weeks ago uh, that, uh, you know, how do you learn, how do you learn to uh, read over Zoom? And, <laughs> you know, it, it was such a simple comment, but it really kind of, got my attention because we're asking our kids to do a lot um, using new technology and technology is wonderful, is powerful, helpful a lot of times, but you really do see that there's nothing like actually the traditional learning environment. Uh, So I hope that my son, uh, you know, 
stays on grade level and I'm sure he's going to do great. He's going to do fine. But like every parent out there, you know, you, you start worrying about your kids and how well they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So you are a lifelong Texan and there was a lot of excitement around the state this election, which saw record turnout and youth votes, specifically among young Hispanic voters. That was so exciting to see, you know, even though the state didn't flip blue this time, there's such a sense of inevitability about it. So I'm curious, what signs did you see during this election cycle that made you feel like Texas is really on that cusp and has a really exciting, inclusive future in national politics? You can just tell in this state that something has changed during the Trump years, especially, that the state has accelerated from this place that was solidly red to one that has become more and more competitive. Um, uh, The other thing that I saw was about 20 polls in a row right before the election that had the election within the margin of error between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Now, at the end of the day, it, it was 5.8 points that separated Trump from Biden. Um, so it wasn't as close. It wasn't quite as competitive as we thought that it would be. But hey, you know, eight years ago, Barack Obama lost Texas in his reelection by 16 points. Hillary closed it to nine points, and now it was 5.8 points. So There is no denying that Texas is moving in the right direction, that it's becoming uh, more democratic. And the question is, how do we build on that momentum? Uh, How do we close that gap and all of the organizing that has to go into making sure that we're able to win some of these races in 2022, 2024 and beyond that? Yeah, actually, that that segues really well. A lot has been made about the so-called, I want to say, Latino vote and the dawning realization for many in our media that it is not a monolith. As someone who's been at the forefront of outreach to Latinx communities and called out the party's organizing efforts this last cycle, you highlighted some really great ones, but you also noticed where it could go further. What are the next steps for Democrats who see Latinas as a major part of the electoral future for the party? And what can these communities teach us about activating and retaining solidarity? The number one thing is um, that it's not monolithic. And we've probably heard that word more in the last three weeks than we have in the last like three years, right? But it's not monolithic. We knew that before. Um, But perhaps the reason that it became so apparent during this election was because of the expectations that when you had a president that had been so anti-Latino, had been so bad on immigration, on health care, on educational opportunity, on issues of equality in our country, a lot of people expected, like, hey, you know, I mean, certainly the the Latinx community is going to go... 90 to 10 against this guy. That didn't happen. Um, Overall, the result that he got, the support that he got, was not that far afield from, uh, you know, what you usually see in these elections. The Latino community remains a powerful and indispensable part of the Democratic coalition, and it helped to power Joe Biden to victory in places like Arizona, hold the line in, in Nevada, even growing communities uh, in places like Georgia and Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. At the same time, there were these geographic areas like Miami-Dade County and border communities along the southern 
Texas border that, look, you know, people are scratching their head. And what we need to do is a deep dive and understand what happened there, why there was some backsliding, and then make sure that we're organizing 365 days a year um, on voter registration, on turnout, on messaging. And I think that we can reverse, you know, some of that backsliding that happened in those areas. Um, but part of the beauty of the community is that it is so diverse. And you go to a place like South Florida, and it's wonderful because it's, it's pan uh, uh, Latinx, right? People from uh, whose origins are originally Cuba, Venezuela, Mexican, uh, Puerto Rican, so many different places. There's a beauty in that. And my hope is that uh, if anything positive in terms of the media comes out of this, it's that the community won't be one-dimensionalized so much anymore. There's this one-dimensionalization um, where if you're Latino or Latina, you got here five minutes ago, first of all, <laughs> you know, in two years, uh, really a year and a half, it's going to have been a hundred years since the grandmother that I grew up with here in San Antonio came to the United States. And you can write that story all over this country. The folks in, in the Latinx community have been contributing to the forward progress of our country in so many different ways for generations. And, um, and at the same time, you know, yes, there are folks who uh, are uh, essential workers, farm workers, um, folks who are fast food workers, meat plant workers. They're also doctors and engineers and teachers. And so I hope that people see the fullness of the community. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This week, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris announced a number of national security picks. Their cabinet selections include Alejandro Mayorkas, a Cuban-American immigrant who, if confirmed, will become the first Latino to head the department. What do you think this and other selections say about the diversity of the Biden-Harris team and their views in putting together an administration? I was happy to see that uh, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris are living up to their pledge to appoint a cabinet that looks like our country. Uh, they're, they're still working on that, and I think uh, it's going to become even more diverse. 
But these first few picks that centered around national security, they're people who are experienced. They are ready on day one to make a big impact. They also reflect the American experience. Uh, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas, Deputy Homeland Security Secretary during the Obama-Biden administration, he's lived an immigrant's American dream story, two parents who uh, immigrated as political refugees from Cuba along with him. Uh, so he's an immigrant and a refugee himself. Who better to understand that we are a nation of immigrants and to turn away from the cruelty uh, of Donald Trump and his administration, the Stephen Miller approach, and instead embrace compassion and common sense when it comes to uh, DHS and our immigration laws. What advice would you have for incoming cabinet members having been one yourself? Well, I mean, my number one piece of advice is um, to uh, rebuild the morale within your department because for many of the departments in these last four years, they've lost so many people and the people who are there, uh, they didn't think that the folks at the top, whether it was Ben Carson or Rick Perry or uh, any number of people, including <laughs> yeah. a coal lobbyist head up the EPA, they didn't think that those folks really believed in the mission of the organization. So they're down. And these agencies, they just need to be rebuilt, you know, from the ground up and folks need to have, be inspired again with that sense of mission of the organization. I mean, that would be my number one piece of advice. Don't just look outward and focus outward, whether it's with Congress or, you know, the perceptions or anything else, you're going to have to spend some real time focusing inward because those agencies have been enervated over these last four years in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What advice would you give people who see themselves a bit more progressive on issues than they're seeing reflected right now in the initial cabinet picks from the Biden, incoming Biden administration? I'd say two things. Number one, uh, that, look, there's no question this is a huge sea change versus what we had with Donald Trump. And we had the opportunity with these appointees um, to, to push. A few years ago, President Obama um, said something that I think is very true about politics and politicians, which is that you have to push them. You know, you, you have to make them sometimes uncomfortable and to, to go places and support policies that may not they may not naturally be inclined to do, but you're able to prevail because of your organizing and your pushing. And I think of those dreamers from a few years ago that did that with DACA and DAPA especially. Um, and so that would be one, is this is not an ending, it's a beginning. The election was not an ending, it's a beginning. Keep pushing, keep organizing. Um, and then secondly, uh, he's not done yet. <laughs> these were just, the, you know, the, the, these were the first few picks. These were the national security picks, defense and UN ambassador and a number of others. And there's a whole range of other policy areas. Um, it's going to be important for the progressive voice to be reflected in some of those picks, because without progressives, uh, we wouldn't have uh, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris 
and you need to keep that coalition strong going forward. Yeah. And I believe speaking of sort of more progressive movement and then over the next four years, I believe your brother is in the running to lead the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And I think he would be the first Mexican-American to do so. We're speaking about how obviously Latinos are not a monolith. And, you know, one really exciting cabinet pick that deals specifically with immigration isn't enough, of course. It's why do you think it's so important to have Latino representation in all areas of our national government? Yeah, well, I'm proud of my brother, Joaquin. You know, he, uh, he's a subcommittee chair on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and he's dedicated a lot of time and effort to really understanding the issues and being a leader on that committee. I think he'd make a great chair, obviously. I give him my support. <laughs> yeah, Not like I gotta say, I went to your Twitter feed and you had retweeted the tweet about the news story about it twice. So I was like, he's excited. Yeah. <laughs> he's also, you know, and we'll see how it goes. I think that he can win, but, yeah, you know, He's also doing something that I don't think has been done very often or maybe ever before, which is that he's opening up the process from this, just this back room, just, hey, uh, backslapping support among colleagues model of appointing committee chairs who are, are electing committee chairs who are so powerful in terms of what actually happens on policy, opening that up by seeking the support, you know, the engaging outside groups, um, seeking their support, shining a light on the entire process. So win or lose, what he's done, I think, actually should be emulated going forward and should become a new model for how these committee chairs uh, come to office. Uh, Having said that, Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think representation does matter uh, in every way. Um, it's important, you know, for folks to understand that, that, that they can be anything and do anything. Um, when I was running for president, it meant a lot to me to know that when I was standing on that debate stage, that there were a lot of, um, little Latino boys and Latina girls who were watching and, and thought, oh, you know, I can do that one day. I can run for president. I can be president at the same time representation is not the only thing. You know, my mom was a a Chicana activist and it always strikes me that there was a time when, I'll just speak for the Mexican American community here, when we thought that it would be enough to elect people that look like us. That in and of itself is not enough. What you really need are you need people that are gonna make the right decisions, make the right investments, Um, and, uh, you know, you, it's great to have both of those things, right? To have representation and have people who are going to make the right decisions and investments. If you have to choose one, uh, I actually, I think that you choose people that are going to make the right investments and the right decisions. Um, but the good thing is that we have such a plethora of talent out there who represent different communities that I think we can have both. We can have in so many of these positions, people who are first, who reflect the diversity of America and who are also gonna have the courage to make you know, tough decisions, but important decisions, especially for the most vulnerable communities out there who too oftentimes get overlooked, they get neglected, They don't have their lobbyists, you know, whining and dining folks in D.C. or in state capitals. Um, You know, they don't have a voice. 
but they can have one if they have the right people in there. Right. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. So in addition to parenting during a pandemic, you're also relatable in the sense that you started a podcast in 2020. Can you tell us about Our America yeah, you know, I'm excited about this podcast. We launched it in September. And the idea behind Our America is to really highlight the way that the American experience changes from one person to the next. Over the last six years, I traveled to more than 40 states, uh, over 100 different communities, big and small. There were people's stories that really stuck in my head and that I thought, wow, um, you know, their story is so emblematic of other struggles that people are going through, similar struggles. And so I wanted to go and tell those stories. And they've been, it's been fantastic so far. Like we told the story of these residents in uh, mobile home park residents in Waukee, Iowa. Uh, their mobile home park got bought out by a private equity group. The private equity group tried to jack up their rent by 69% immediately. And our story was about how they fought back uh, to try and stave that off. We just did one on work that people are doing with homeless individuals who live in storm drainage tunnels that run underneath the Las Vegas Strip, right? These casinos that are worth hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars. And here you have people that are sleeping, you know, on concrete in a drainage tunnel underneath them. And you've had people die in those tunnels when it floods. Uh, so those are the kinds of stories. And we try to make it, you know, uh, not just descriptive, but also uplifting in terms of, hey, what can we do about this? So that it's not just, wow, look how bad things are, which is often true, but also how can we be productive and actually change this? Because I think people want solutions. They want to know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of the question we asked earlier about, you know, if you feel like you want to see uh, really progressive change, I think I was listening to some of the episodes and they really are already sort of a guidebook, like really personal um, sort of accounts of the solutions and the paths we can actually take to make these changes happen. Um, our listeners might be lucky enough to have some time off in the coming days. If they want to go back and binge listen Our America, what are some of your favorite episodes in addition to the ones that you listed? Uh, would you recommend? I loved the interview with Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, that was, a, yeah. you know, of course, she and I became friends on the campaign trail. I was so proud to support her after I ended my 
uh, my own campaign. I mean, she's just fabulous. And we had a great conversation about uh, the future, about values, um, about what she hopes to see in the next few years. Folks should listen to that. We also did one actually on um, reimagining public safety and yeah. uh, police accountability using data. Uh, there's a social scientist, uh, Samson Galway, and I interviewed him, and that was a really neat and fascinating conversation that we had. Uh, so, th- yeah, those are some of the ones that we we did that people should listen to. This week, we're re-airing episode one, which was a conversation I had with my mother and my brother about our America, you know, our family's story in this country, because wow. we wanted to lay the foundation if we're going to be talking about other people's stories about where I'm coming from. And so I hope folks will check it out. Yeah, yeah. When I was listening to them, you know, a lot of them were recorded before the election. I was just so struck by the tone of possibility. There wasn't, you know, prior to November 3rd, there was, well, if things go this way, if things go that way, there was so much trepidation. But listening to them, it was just so motivating to hear. It's like, this is the path we're taking, and these are the steps we can take no matter what. And I found them really encouraging to listen to. Oh, thank you for that. Well, it's it's exciting that that we're going to turn the page. Yes. And, you know, I think everybody was breathing a huge sigh of relief. Yes. And, and also, you know, you have that optimism in your heart and uh, so much hope for the future. And um, so we're going we're gonna to keep uh, listening and engaging and, and hopefully offering a positive vision with solutions. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Secretary Castro. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to sup at Betches.com. Betches.